Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. We've been on quite a journey the last three weeks. Well, two weeks. This is the third. So make sure we accurately portray where we're at. And uh, I am so grateful that I've had a chance to come and be with you. It's just been a a real inspiration to me in my life to see uh, the body of Christ worshiping together in this place, in the town that I live in, and then having the privilege to be able to come and and be with you uh, and share these topics uh, to talk about serious issues. Uh, Like I said last week, I'm super grateful for you as a church because you're willing to take on the difficult subjects. And not many places are willing to do that. You might think more people would be interested given the fact that we are in a mental health crisis in our culture. Uh, If you're alive and breathing, you're probably aware of that, at least I hope. And the fact is, it's challenging out there for people. My sole purpose and goal with this series that Tim asked me to come and do for you all was to help you learn how to navigate this mental health crisis in your life. You may or may not be struggling with things like depression or suicide, but I guarantee you're faced with stress and anxiety on a regular basis. That's because every one of us deals with stress and anxiety, and stress and anxiety are good. I talked about that last week. It's how we steward those things in our life that makes a huge difference for us. And that's the skill that we actually have to learn. If we go back to the first week when I shared with you my personal story about getting to 23 years old and opening my toolbox and realizing I didn't have all the tools I needed to navigate all of life, I was missing some things. Some of those tools that were missing were, how do I manage stress and anxiety in my life? This is a really practical thing. Now, if stress goes to a point of becoming chronic in your life, then you have an issue. If anxiety gets to a point in your life where it becomes a disorder called general anxiety disorder, then we have an issue. But navigating regular rhythms of stress and anxiety in your life are normal. Anxiety in particular, when I talked about it last week, is a, um, is a hyper-vigilant response in your life. It's like you get the fight up and you start you know, wanting to take it on. When someone starts to move into depression, it's hypovigilance. The body starts shutting down, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. This will probably be the weirdest and most unique depression and suicide talk you've ever heard. If you've ever heard one, (laughs) for that matter. Like most of the time, these these topics live inside um, the clinical sector, the professional sector of counseling and therapy. My real drive and passion is that we need to pull them out of those spaces, we need to bring them into spaces like this, and we need to start talking about them on a regular basis in our life in a way that's helpful and tangible. And and that is what I really get to do because I'm not a doctor, I'm not a trained counselor or therapist, I'm a consultant. What's the difference between a consultant and a counselor or a consultant and a doctor? We tell you what to do with your life. Like, if you were to come see me as a personal development client, some of, some of, there are people in here who actually do come to see me, I make regular suggestions, hey, this is what I think you should do. 
And then the question is, do you want to do that? And we're going to see this morning that there is a lot of practical advice in the scriptures for how to care for our bodies. And when it comes to depression and suicide, here's what I want to make sure I do. I want to segment suicide into a category of its own. Because when someone gets to that place in life, they are in a very specific way and state. They're significantly emotionally deregulated to where they can't really manage life. They are significantly hopeless. So I want to set that aside. I want to put stress, anxiety, and depression in a, in, in a progression connected to one another. Uh, so I want to make sure that I have that delineation. So I did a little bit of a recap of where we've been. I want to go back to the first week because I do believe that we are facing culturally in the fishbowl in which we live, some changes that have impacted our environment and they are causing people to struggle more. Because this is one of the questions we have to ask. Is it just happening more for people or has it always been this way? Do we just understand more about it now because there's more information and it's coming to us every day? Or is this actually transpiring that it's increasing? I would say based on my research and study and experience that it is increasing. We obviously, and we also know a lot more about it than we used to know. So we have tremendous amounts of information to help us, and I'm going to point you to some of that today, which is going to be really fun, okay? I said fun in a talk on depression and suicide. I know. But I hope this is informational for you. I hope it's also going to push you to some integrated processes in your own life, some that I will talk about in my life. Funny thing happened this week. I... I gave you guys too much information last week when I said that I was just, um, I just had a sleep study and I've been diagnosed, I got my results, severe sleep apnea, like severe, like, dude, you're not breathing when you sleep, seriously, 61% oxygen, like, recorded on my finger or something like that, that's not good, right, this is not good, so you would have got a kick out of this, I was sitting in my doctor's office for review um, the other day, and, and the doctor's kind of going over things, and I got my legs crossed, and I'm looking at him with my mask on, you know, and, and he's like, so you know you're headed for a CPAP? I go, oh, yeah. And he goes, you're ready for this? I go, 100%, I can't wait, because my life is going to change. And, and he's like, you're, you're actually excited about being here. I'm like, of course I am. Like, this is great. I think I was the most excited person he's ever seen to get a, a CPAP for your face, you know, like one of those breathing devices. Guarantee I was the most excited person he's ever seen. Most people are in there and they're miserable. I'm like, dude, you sending me out of here with one of these things today? He's like, no, you're going to have to wait a week. Are you, are you kidding me? He did not know what to do with me. But the reason I share that is because there are, we live in a time where there's been massive medical advancements. There's, there's so much information, so many things we can know about stuff, stuff that can actually help us. And here's what we have in this room. We know the creator of the universe. We know the designer and the grand artist. Anything that's being discovered about the things that can help us is only the science behind the art. And we can leverage that in our life. And interesting, when I was in Old Testament survey and seminary, I remember, I actually did it, it was remote and it was on audio. The teacher said something that I'll never forget. He said the law of Moses functioned as a good in our life out of a loving God who wanted to care for us. I'm paraphrasing. 
And he said in three ways for us to have clean homes, healthy bodies, and good relationships. That was the functioning of the law of Moses. Most people view it as like this burdensome thing. No, God gave it to us as an act of mercy and something good in our life to express his love to us, to care for us. It's just it got turned into religion. It got turned in a way of, of seeking to be right in God, with God in mer- and like in a, in a merit sort of ways to earn your right position and your right, right place. But no, God's act of mercy was to give it to us so that we could have healthy bodies, clean homes, and good relationships. So next time you go read the Law of Moses, read any of the Old Testament in that way, keep that in mind. And now we've been restored to God in a way we can execute. I'm not saying go live out the Law of Moses in your life. <laughs> what, I'm, what I am saying is there's some things you could be doing that could be helpful to you and your body and your mental health. All of it's in Scripture. God doesn't miss anything. He is the great designer, the grand artist, and we have opportunity to access the science behind the art. So I'm going to bring some of that to bear on this conversation today, okay? Um, yeah, this up on, you're probably wondering, why is there a lawnmower on the screen? Um, who would come into a church and talk about their lawn, lawnmower? I will. That would be this guy right here. This is JoJo, my John Deere, and I paid a lot for JoJo, uh, the Z35R zero-turn riding mower. It's fantastic, you know? Interesting thing about riding mowers and a lot of other things in life, by the way, when this thing showed up on my property, it came with a plastic bag full of manuals like this one. This is my owner's manual to JoJo. Inside this owner's manual tells me all kinds of things about how it functions, how it runs, how to take care of it, the things that are a part of it, what to do with it how to, you know, shut it down for winter, how to use it properly. I find this problematic. When a John Deere riding mower shows up on my property, functionally I get an owner's manual. Now, for the human body, when you came into the world, did you get one of those? I didn't either. That's problematic. Now, we could make a case that the scriptures go the distance and do that for us. And I think they do in many ways. But there's so many little factors and facets that we don't just feel like aren't covered for us. It's like, where's the owner manual? How do my kidneys function? (laughs) Can someone tell me, like, I'd really like to know? Because I probably should be taking care of them, you know? So this is the kind of practical approach that I want to take this morning in talking about when we start struggling with things like depression that can eventually lead someone to suicide and all of the things that cascade in our life to get to that place, there's a reality of just moving through life with an operator's manual that can be helpful for us. And so I'm going to point you to one real specific piece of that today, okay? I want to frame this in light of Matthew chapter 7, verses 24. I'm getting really old. My eyes aren't functioning well. The owner's manual didn't tell me about that. But, you know, we have doctors who, you know, give us glasses and contacts and all that other stuff to help us, but I still have to hold it really far away. Anyway, verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is, follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the floodwaters rise 
and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on, a, on bedrock. See, there's science behind where you build your house. You build your house on places that are stable, and you build your house in such a way that is stable. I mean, in some sense, and don't hold this against me, you don't need to pray about something like that. You just do it. Because God has told us and given us functional ways of existing that when you do them, it's considered wise. And you are building in line with the way that that God wants you to build. I think there's many people who don't want to actually do that. They just want an easy way out. And they pray and they ask for God's help and he's going, I've given you plenty. Are you willing to live in the way that I've designed? Or do you just actually want me to take care of it without you doing anything. And so he has given us a way to build, and we need to build that way. Verse 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand in the wrong spot. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Oh, like, whoa, that's amazing. (laughs) No, it's just wise. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of the religious law, because he's the designer. He knows how everything works. And when someone comes at you from that perspective and can explain that to you, it is quite amazing. So let's talk about depression. What a transition, right? (laughs) What is depression? And this is a really important subject and um, thing we have to understand today because the language, I mentioned this in a couple of my other talks, words like anxiety and depression are being transacted and trauma are being transacted so regularly on the streets today in people's language that it's hard to understand what they actually mean. Depression is a clinical term. It began as a clinical term. It is now the transacted word for I'm sad. We don't say I'm sad anymore. We say I'm depressed. Okay, so what did the medical community have to do? They had to go and create categories now because it's become interchanged so regularly, particularly among the youngest generation. When I'm talking to people who are in the next generation, they say, well, I'm depressed. I go, tell me what you mean. Describe it to me. Are you at home on your couch for two weeks, not wanting to leave the house, unmotivated, low mood, regular bouts of potentially crying? Like, like these are some of the symptoms of actual depression. Or are you moving throughout your day and you're blue and you're just sad? Now, I'm not being critical of anybody who might use the word that way. What I am doing is trying to, it's important for us to delineate and understand what we're talking about. Because if someone is dealing with those things that I mentioned before the last part there, they need to get care. So what the medical community has had to do is they've had to now classify it as clinical depression. Are you actually diagnosed? So this is the National Institute of Mental Health. According to the NIMH, depression, also called major depressive disorder, when depression moves into a disorder, or clinical depression is common, but, serious, but a serious mood disorder, it causes severe symptoms that affect how you feel, think, handle daily activities such as sleeping, eating, and working. To be diagnosed with depression, the symptoms must be present 
for at least two weeks. Different types of depression, major depression, persistent depressive disorder, perinatal depression, seasonal affective disorder. I want to stop on this one really quickly. We live in Boise, Idaho. Do you know it gets really dark here in the winter? Way too long in the morning. Okay? Seasonal affective disorder is an important thing to understand that when it gets dark and you're not getting enough sunlight, you might, your mood may change. You may be impacted by seasonal change. I won't say that I'm, I have seasonal affective disorder. I'm just, I have low mood every morning I wake up. That's just me. So I've done all kinds of things. They have solutions for this, people. If you feel like you're impacted like this, buy yourself a therapy light. Do you know what one of these are? Do yourself a favor and get some bright light into your eyes early in the morning. I'm going to talk more about this later in my talk when I come. I'm going to stop on sleep specifically for a purpose. But if your mood significantly changes as you approach wintertime, you're not alone. It happens to a lot of people. But you can care for yourself. You don't have to stay stuck in that. Last one, depression with symptoms of psychosis. This is when we're moving into serious mental health illness. So that's a flyover of depression, signs and symptoms of depression. Persistent, sad, anxious, empty mood, feelings of helplessness or pessimism, feelings of irritability, frustration, restlessness, feelings of guilt, worthlessness or helplessness, loss of interest or pleasure in hobbies and activities, decreased energy, fatigue, or feeling slowed down, difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions. I don't know, it sounds like everybody, right? <laughs> Some of these things are just like normal life, right? Maybe you're not depressed, maybe you're just like everybody else. Difficulty sleeping, early morning awakening or oversleeping, changes in appetite, unplanned weight changes, thoughts of death or suicide, suicide attempts, aches or pains, headaches, cramps, or digestive problems without a clear physical cause that does not ease even with treatment. So you see the whole breadth of things we're talking about here and why it's important to make sure we know what we're talking about. That's a lot of information, a lot of things to account for. If you're just sad and blue and you don't know how to talk to your emotions and your emotions control you, Maybe you're not depressed. Maybe you need to know how to emotionally regulate. Maybe you know, need to know how to steward your emotions. Now, I, please hear me. When I started talking at the beginning of this whole thing three weeks ago, I said, I'm not trying to devalue or dismiss perspectives on mental health. I'm trying to create a pathway for us to be able to talk about it in a way that's helpful. How do we navigate it? So this is a really good book that I came across, Johan Hari, a book called Lost Connections. He's struggled with depression his entire life. Uh, he is a Cambridge sociologist, really smart guy. And I like listening to smart people, scientists and people who are researchers, because they're always, a lot of times, explaining the science behind the art. And they can give us really good information. Fantastic book on dealing with depression without medication. Because I personally think you go to medication when you've exhausted everything else. That's my position. But he does a great deal of research into how we got antidepressants, when they were released, how effective they are, and nine, I think it's nine other things that are considered antidepressants that are not a pill. So if you are dealing with depression, find somebody that can help you leverage everything, not just one thing. 
not just a, a prescribed antidepressant that your general practitioner, who's not normally a psychiatrist, is going to prescribe to you. So leverage everything at your disposal. So here are some things we can do. Physical activity, try to maintain regular bedtime and wake-up time. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Diet and supplementation, decide what must get done and what can wait. A lot of people are, are depressed because they feel, or, or struggle with depression because they feel like the weight of the world is on them. And here's the thing. This is a newsflash. Everybody look at me. You don't have to do everything in life you think you need to do. You can leave here differently today. Yes, that's worth clapping for. We don't, need, we don't have to do everything we think we need to do. Goodness gracious. Connect with other people. Postpone important decisions. And then avoid substances, including alcohol. Just saying. If you're drinking, it has an effect on your mood. It suppresses you. It's not good for your health. So this is a, one of my favorite people. His name's Dr. Andrew Huberman. He's a Stanford neurologist and ophthalmologist, and he's got incredible information. So if you ever listen to anybody in here listen to his podcast ever, am I the only one? He is, no, we've got a couple. So this is a QR code to one on sleep, optimizing your sleep. This is something he talks about in there. He says, just talking about getting light into your eyes early in the morning and in the afternoon by sunlight, outdoor light, not fabricated forms or, or uh, false forms of light. So he says, he goes on to talk about the neurons in your eye and the cells in your brain and everything. They are calibrated that when you walk outside in the morning and you look at a sunrise, this is so cool. They are calibrated to respond to the colors in sunrises to help stimulate your body and tell you you're awake. He's a Stanford doctor, probably not a believer in Jesus. But what he just told me, he told me how the designer built it. See, back in the day in the ancient world, you would wake up in the morning, instantly you're outside milking something, growing something, you know. You're out there, you're doing something to provide for your life. And you're getting sunlight into your eyes. He even says animals know this, and they go seek it out. Anybody got a dog? Don't you just love it when they're laying in the yard? Bathing in the sun? Because they're getting full of the things that are good for them. Way more lumens come into your eyes through sunlight, natural sunlight than any kind of false fluorescent light. So five minutes in the morning, go outside and just stare and look at the sky. You know what's interesting? In the evening, sunset, those colors are calibrated to tell your eyes and your brain, sleep is coming. This is how God made it. Leverage it. Go do it. Use it. It's there. It's been designed for you that way. This is why I think we don't have an owner's manual. Because here's what human beings have done. Screwed up the natural processes that God designed. And we don't operate in, his, in the rhythms that he has designed for us. And we mess with it all. And we think we're really brilliant. And we call it technology. But in reality, God's like, no, I made it to function a certain way for you. And here's what you don't want. You don't want that path. Remember I referenced last week, Jeremiah 6.16, stand by my ways and seek the ancient path where the good way is that you may walk in it and find rest for your soul. 
Israelites' response, next verse, we don't want that path. Okay, you don't want that path? Then you're not gonna have rest for your soul. You're gonna have chaos. It's very practical. The designer who has built a wise approach to life has also provided us for us in amazing ways. And the, the sleep rhythm, so I've been experimenting with all kinds of things that are helpful that, that Andrew brings in his podcasts. Another one has been... Um, Cold showers. So this is, this is no joke. You're like, this is, you, you give way too much information here. But, I, but I, here's the thing. So I wake up in the morning, and then I get natural light in my eyes. And then your body instantly starts warming itself up in the morning. Your metabolic rate wants to increase. When you put cold on that, like cold plunging is becoming a big deal today. Have you noticed this? That's because sleep and energy temperature and the rhythms of all that, people are studying this. This is, not, this is not a mystery any longer. They're bringing all this information to the table. Well, here's the thing. If you get some light in your eyes, then you take a cold shower, then drink your caffeine, trust me, try this. How alert and energized you're gonna feel after that. It's really incredible. For a guy who wakes up and I'm like, I just wanna sleep the rest of my life. Because I don't naturally wake up energized. It's not something that I do. So I'm, hey, I got good information. Now it's in my lap. Do I want to use this or do I not? If I don't, hey, don't complain. Go whine to somebody else. Right? You are a steward of your own body. And you have options and opportunities to use these things in your life. Andrew's great. He's got a lot of really good information. But just keep in mind, he's a Stanford doctor, okay? So now I want to transition away from depression. I give you that sleep piece as a way of dealing with depression and some of those things that I just mentioned to you. You want a cascading effect? Address your diet too. 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut. 50% of dopamine is produced in the gut. If you don't have a healthy gut, then you're probably going to struggle with mood. Here is Huberman's formula as I move on. Behavior first, supplementation second, medication third. Try every behavior you can. Supplement the heck out of your body. <laughs> can I say that in church? Okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. I guess I just did. Supplement your body. Get right nutrients and everything in it. And then if that's not working seek medication. I'm not against medication, but I'm for medication when I've tried everything else as well, okay? All right, so let's talk. We are going to cover suicide quickly because mostly this is a very different situation. Like I mentioned earlier, when someone is struggling with suicide or if someone around you is struggling with suicide, this is at a point where they are very hopeless and they are emotionally deregulating. Okay, so most suicides happen in a two-day to two-week period of emotional deregulation. Something is going on in a person's life where they are unable to control their emotions and they are hopeless. Okay, so I want to make sure that I'm clear on the conditions of this. Okay? So what is the state of suicide in our culture today? Well, this is a map that shows us Idaho has had a 43.2% increase in suicide from 1999 to 2016. The Intermountain States, which we are one, 
are normally top five in the country for completed suicide. Folks, we live in a suicide hotbed. That's just the reality of it. They've tried to describe, so states like Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Utah, Alaska, all of these states tend to be hotbeds for suicide. We are seeing an increase in difficulty and mental health struggle in youth in Idaho. There have been recent reports in the last few weeks about this that it's increasing and has been increasing since 2021. So this is really, really important that we're concerned about this. This is the most recent report, um, the CDC vital signs from 2018. I have not updated my information with the current numbers yet because there's just not enough of them out there yet. They're coming. They're starting to come out as we speak. So this is our country right here. Suicide is a problem in our country. I was traveling to Ireland in, in uh, the mid-2000s, and a suicide epidemic had already started hitting Europe 10 to 15 years ago, and I had a vantage point of seeing it. I did not know that it was going to hit like a wave here in the United States, just fast-forwarding 10 to 15 years. We kind of tend to be 10 to 15 years behind Europe on a lot of things, not good things. But this is one of them. When suicide uh, or attempts of suicide happen, okay, so this was uh, from those numbers in 2017, past year suicidal thoughts and behaviors. This is, what, this is how it looks. 1.3 million adults attempt suicide. 2.8 million make plans to attempt suicide, and 9.8 have thoughts about it. Normally, completed suicides in a year is somewhere, like right now is roughly in 40, 47,000, if you just take a number. But look at that, 1.3 million attempted. The ripple effect of attempted suicide is equally as concerning as completed suicides. It just sends a, like, a wake out into the culture and everybody around it. I'm not going to ask for this, a show of hands of anyone in here who has either known someone who's died by suicide or attempted to die by suicide, but I'm sure a lot of the hands would go up. We're all impacted by it culturally. And so it's important that we understand the ripple effect and, and what it looks like to a culture. So I want to talk about risk factors and I want to talk about what you can do. Because as we're sitting here and listening about this very sensitive topic, we have to be able to approach it in a way that's helpful. And so here's traditional risk factors of suicide. A relationship problem. So I want you to think about it through the lens of someone's hope tank. Remember the hope tanks? Depleting to a point of hopelessness. Someone has a relationship that goes south and their tank depletes. Substance use or behavior can often cause a person to contemplate suicide. Financial problems, if someone loses a job and their financial future is in jeopardy and they see no path to the end, their tank could deplete and they could become hopeless. A loss of housing, crisis, they experienced some type of crisis in the past two weeks. A physical health problem, there are a lot of people out there who struggle with suicide because they have a disease, a terminal disease or an illness. That is incredibly difficult for people when they face that kind of thing. And then or a criminal and legal problem. We've heard of the stories who someone gets themselves in, in trouble and instead of going to jail, they take their life. So these are traditional risk factors. I want to add in here, I'm not saying that I'm a guy who could say, well, here's the next risk factor. Like that, people don't listen to me that way. But I did present to you the first week that there is a condition in our culture of competitive individualism with no meaning and morality 
that I think is causing people to struggle significantly and push them to suicide. I talked to you about the young girl, Wisconsin runner, D1 athlete, very successful, valued in her community. When she died by suicide earlier this year, her parents said that it was academic and athletic pressure, and in that time of being overwhelmed, she, she took her life. Academic and athletic pressure drove her to hopelessness. So we have to be aware of this. This is a condition I think that is real and we have to understand. So what are the signs? What are signs of suicidal behavior? Um, someone, if, they, if someone around you and you're, and you're thinking this person might be thinking of suicide, they start putting their affairs in order. They have changes in sleep. They have reckless behavior. They start giving away their possessions, right? Because they're not going to live much longer. Increased substance use they start talking about dying. They feel hopeless or trapped, no sense of purpose, anxiety or agitation, uncontrolled anger, sudden moon changes, withdrawal, and they talk about being a burden. There's another one that's not on this list, but also if you ever are watching somebody who you're concerned about and all of a sudden they become very euphoric and they're like, life is great. Maybe because that's they have a plan and they know that they're exiting at some point. So this is what is, you need to be aware of when you're thinking that somebody might be struggling. So what do you do? Three things. Ask the question. Now, this might be counter to the thinking. Most people go, like, you don't want to talk about it because then someone might do it. Well, here's the thing. It is shown that if we ask the question, literally, you ask the person, are you thinking of taking your life? Are you thinking of dying by suicide? And you notice, if you noticed in my language, I did not say commit suicide. Did you notice this? The, the way of speaking about suicide today in our culture is someone's dying by suicide or thinking of dying by suicide. They're not committing a crime. But if they are, if you notice someone who's struggling in that way, you need to ask them directly. A lot of times what that does for them is it creates relief. They go, whoo, whoa, like they know where I'm at and they'll start talking to you. Second thing, is to listen and reassure. Listen to them. Ask them good questions. Reassure them that you can find them hope and find them help. Find them the things they need to come, come alongside them and walk alongside them to get them what they need. And then have a safety plan. Here's what I mean about a safety plan. If you're concerned that there is someone who is thinking of actively taking their life and they're not in your presence, you call the police and you send a well check to wherever that person is. Or you have, you, go, you have them be found by the police and taken to the hospital because they'll be put on watch for anywhere from 24 to 48 hours. And in that time, they're going to have to think about what's going on for them. We also have facilities in our community, Inner Mountain Hospital and Cottonwood, that they will take people by appointment. This is great for parents to know that if you have a child who's struggling in this way and they need to be admitted, you can schedule an appointment, be with them, and take them to that place. So this is important to know. Who knows in here what the new suicide hotline number is? 988. Why is it a teenager in here knows that and no one else does? Maybe everybody else did. I don't know. 988 is now the number, not 911, but 988. So if someone's struggling and they need counseling, you can let them know. Call 988 and they can talk to somebody. It's really, really good to know. What else? Oh, that's a duplicate side, sorry. 
So those are the things that we can do. I want to go back to that real quickly. Ask the question, listen and reassure, have a safety plan. Okay, so now I've covered suicide really quickly. And the reason I did that is because, like I said, it is a specific condition that someone is facing where they are emotionally deregulated, feeling hopeless in a two-day to two-week period. Okay, and if you find someone in that situation or you feel yourself creeping into that situation, there are specific things that you can do. Okay, and that's what I wanted to make sure that I gave you this morning. So let's transition. I have talked about this. What is it that makes the difference for us? And I want to conclude everything that I said with a few minutes on a couple of really important things. First is hope. How does hope function? It is not an elusive, mysterious thing. It actually functions practically in our life. It is something that's built and cultivated over time that produces fruit in your life. And it it happens, as I've shown this slide every week, in four areas in your life that I call the hope tanks. It happens in one tank of your emotional health. It happens in another tank in your relational health. Also in your intellectual health or how you think about life and your vocational health. Okay, so this particular slide is built off of the great commandment of Jesus. To love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Where I got the hope tanks from was looking at the Greek words for heart, soul, mind, and strength and going, what do those things mean? They mean what this says. The heart is that emotional place in our gut that also works with our mind. Our mind and our heart both think, and they work together as our will. And we can manage those places in healthy ways. So to invest in your emotional health through counseling or therapy or great relationships or discovery and learning is going to boost that tank in your life and keep you from being hopeless. The second one, relational health. Loving God as a soul. Every one of us is in here as a soul and we're in relationship with one another. And when we come together and we worship or we interact or we have friendships, what's going on is one whole person is interacting with another whole person. And the way we love God with our soul is being connoisseurs of relationship, learning how to do relationship well. And so we, we also know that relationships can be toxic. You know, that's the word that gets used about relationships today. Oh, that's a toxic person. You know, like they've been ingesting Clorox all week or something. <laughs> Don't go around them. They're toxic. They've been drinking a lot of Starbucks. Well, I'm, no offense. I used to work at Starbucks. It's not the best coffee out there. But you get what you get, you know. So relationships are important, and to understand how to have good, healthy relationships. Remember, the Scripture teaches us how to do this. And the evidence of Jesus, like, did Jesus do everything everybody wanted him to do? No, he did not. He did the things that were optimum for his life to be healthy and be good in relationship. There are plenty of people who were wanted to tell him he, there are all kinds of things he needed to do that would not have been good for the cause of the kingdom or his life. He had rhythms and he managed it a certain way that was helpful. Next, intellectual. This is not just filling your head full of knowledge. The word here in the Greek communicates your philosophy of life. Do you think about life in a healthy way? Many people don't. Do you look at life through the lens of reality? What I mean, things that work versus things that don't work. 
things that are good or not good, things that are helpful and not helpful. There's many things floating around in our society and culture today that if you look at them, they don't work. And people are trying them. It's why I spoke to you about anxiety the way that I did in the anxiety hook. As we've moved from duty in our culture to luxury, it's backfired on us like a hook. And people are getting hooked by the unpredictable, the things that don't work. And then the last one, vocational. Vocational health or strength, loving God with your strength, is your power, capacity, and capabilities, the things that God has given you, things like your body. Your body is powerful, and how you take care of your body is a way we love God with our strength. Super practical. So if you want to love God with your strength, take care of your body. You might not always make those connections. So as we conclude, I want to talk about love. Because love is the fuel. It is the very thing that is behind all of this. When you signed up to follow Jesus, what did you get yourself into? When you crossed that line, what did you sign up to do? People would fill that box with all kinds of things. Here's what I would say. You signed up to become a loving person. That's what you did. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. They will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Prime indicator that we follow Jesus is the quality of our love. When Jesus is asked, what's the most important command? He's confronted by a religious regulator, teacher of the time. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered so well. He said, he asked him, of all the commands, what's most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second one's equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. We have a structure from our Lord to how to operate in love. And when we do operate in that love and we're becoming more loving, we love God holistically at the top. We love others intentionally and we love ourselves appropriately. And when that's happening, man, hope really does live in your life significantly. But it begins with clarity of understanding what you signed up for and what you got yourself into. The way I say it to people today, hey, you don't want to be a loving person? Don't follow Jesus. Do something else. We got to know what we're doing. And when this happens for us, in this way, John 15, remember, we have patterns from our Lord that are significant that help us understand his design. If you remain in my words, if you remain in my words and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. You want to glorify God? Jesus tells us how to do it next. I have loved, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things, that you would be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. If you want joy, become a loving person. Learn how to do it in the framework of Jesus. Joy, here's the thing about joy, it's an emotion. It's not a framework. The framework's given to us. The framework happens in becoming a loving person. The byproduct is joy. Folks, here's how I define joy in my life. Joy is an emotional, deep sense of stability, goodness, and well-being. That's a byproduct. It's a result from life lived a specific way. It's a life I'm building 
brick by brick. That's not something I'm just hoping happens. There's been many ways that we've been given patterns to structure that. And so joy is a great thing. And joy comes to us as we build it. So here's the thing. I'll conclude by this. Back to JoJo real quick. If I took pancake syrup outside and put pancake syrup in JoJo and tried to run them around the yard, how am I going to do? <laughs> We're going nowhere. That's the point. We have not been given, for lack of better terminology, pancake syrup by God on how to run and operate our lives. We've been given the best, most magnificent fuel, but for some reason, we don't know how to access it sometimes. If you want to navigate your own mental health and wellness, seek the practical steps and application that we have in Scripture and access scientists who are are describing the art. We don't have to believe everything they teach. Take the good stuff, throw out the bad. You know how to discern those things. And that is really my prayer for you. And so I'm super grateful that I've been asked to come here and do this. I ran a little long today, but I wanted to just encourage you guys with all of these things. So let me pray for us as we conclude and you go into discussion. Lord Jesus, we come uh, in your name to the Father and we just ask that these things that we discussed today about sensitive topics like suicide and depression, but also the, the practical things that you've given us and the way you've designed this body and this world to operate, Lord, I pray that we would hit pause in our lives and stop and look to the access that we have to those things and that we would consider them as ways to help us that you do desire for us to have clean homes and healthy bodies and great relationships. And I I pray that we would take that seriously and that we would push back on our own uh, inner ways that we want to resist the things that can help us and that we would try some stuff and that you would celebrate with us and be like, hey, like how I designed that works really good in your life. Lord, I pray this for every person in here that we would take small steps that can help us to navigate our mental health well. And that when people around us look at us and the joy that we have because it's supernatural in the way it's produced in our life, through your amazing design and artistry, Lord, that they would inquire and go, how do you do that? And that we can offer them the greatest hope and gift that they would ever receive in life. And that as a relationship with you, that we give them access to everything else, the entire kingdom and all its goods. So, Lord, I pray this for everyone today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.